All of us are on a complicated journey of faith, pursuing truth and deeper knowledge of God. But how do we know we're doing it right? Many of you know that faith is a complicated thing, and it can be a painful and difficult journey, and far too often we are not given a space where we can safely address the complications and issues that arise naturally. My name is Joshua Patterson, and one of my best friends, Marty Frederick, and I have agreed to join each other in creating exactly that kind of space where questions and critical thinking are welcome. We want to look honestly at the issues and questions plaguing the Christian church today and to genuinely seek out what it means to live like Jesus in our ever-changing world, in our expanding universe, and in our pluralistic society. We believe that doubt is not the enemy of faith, but perhaps one of its greatest allies. We think that the Christian life is more about asking the right questions than it is about finding the answers. And we believe we are being called to continually ask those questions, renewing our minds and rethinking our faith in the process. Thank you for joining us on that journey. All right, well, welcome to another episode of the Rethinking Faith Podcast. As always, I'm Josh Patterson, and with me today is my co-host, Marty Frederick. Marty, how's it going, bro? I'm doing pretty good. I'm like one thirty-second of the podcast, uh, like like one <laughs> small portion of the podcast. You need to stop with the self-deprecation, dude. No, but like it's it's <laughs> like it's like those times where you're like, hey man, we got an episode to record today, and I'm like, can't do it. Sorry, not no worries. Do it. <laughs> and then those episodes no one listens to they're like well if marty's not on it then why do i even want to listen so that's so what happens. here's a funny story so i work at rei um and uh my 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 co-workers somehow figured out because i didn't i didn't tell them not because i didn't want to share but i just didn't like it didn't come up like that i do a podcast and i like you tagged in one of the things on facebook a couple of weeks ago and they're like oh dude you're in a podcast like i'm gonna go listen to it and so Alex, what's up, man? He, he went and he listened, but he started at the beginning and he was like, so I've been listening to all these episodes and dude, you're a total fraud. You're not even on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, well, like, which one did you listen to? He's like, I don't know. Like whatever one was at the very beginning. I just started at the beginning. I was like, oh, you're going to have to listen like 30 episodes in before I'm yeah, tell him podcast. just to skip to the one that's called Introducing Marty Frederick. Yeah, I was, skip but, to that one. Yeah, and then he was like, "Oh, well, wh- why aren't you on the whole thing?" So I had to explain, like, "Well, you know, like this, like there used to be a different co-host, and like and then I joined later." He's like, "Oh, so like you're you were the second thought," and I was like, "No, like, <laughs> like no, I was like, the encore." I, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but basically, it was like so all these people now at work were like, "Oh, you're on a like you're on a podcast," but then they're like, "Well, but we can't find you. Like you're not even on it." And I was like, "No, like, I had to have this conversation with like multiple different people. Like you That's need so to." And I was like, well, but there's one I am on at the beginning. And they're like, so like, wait a minute. So like you were on one, like at the very beginning, I was like, yeah, like I was talking about baptism. And they're like, so you weren't on all of them. I was like, no, like I was a guest. And then, <laughs> <laughs> and then I became a host. Yeah. They're just like, like slowly told- backing away from you. And they're like, yeah. <laughs> so, we're, so we're not going to listen to it, um, but it was cool. Like, so I think this guy, Alex, I think he listened to like, five minutes and was like this is crap i'm not listening to this because i wasn't on it yeah that's why he went to listen so sorry alex if you're listening to this one yeah alex go listen to one with marty on it or if you're listening to this one then good on you because you found him yeah um 
Sweet. Right. But yeah, man, what's crazy though is that works as a good transition because um, you have to go way back in the archives. But if you go back to episode 27, we had somebody on named Bonnie Lewis to talk about Tim Shaw, which had not been released yet. And she is here with us today. And Hello. so last time, yeah, let, what's up, Bonnie? Hi, it's so good to be here. I really like you guys. And I was like so excited you asked me back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're excited that you came back. Um, and it's cool because last time you were on, uh, it was myself and Matt, who Matt was our producer at the time. And so you got to hang out with Matt. And now you get to meet Marty, which is this guy over here. So Marty yes. meet Bonnie and Bonnie meet Marty. It's nice <laughs> to, meet to meet you. We've already bonded over how mean and brutal children can be. Yeah. No doubt. <laughs> and, and Josh and I have been, have been um, like you, you, a couple minutes ago, you, you had to step away for a minute, and we were like just admiring the wall behind you. And yeah, it's pretty cool. This is I know that no one can see it, but no one can see it. It's um, hexagons, like colored. This is another example of I said to my husband, I want to have this wallpaper, and then he made it better. So, like, okay, it's not working right now because I don't, well, full disclosure, I don't know how to turn it on, but my husband, <laughs> but so there's this, and then there's this thing, and then there's a panel right here is a light strip so any color i can choose to shoot it up the thing oh nice i know it's fascinating that's super cool (laughs) i'm just i'm just like i'm like i'm like looking at it and like i'm looking at that and like josh said something and i was like wait what like i I wasn't it was like mesmerizing (laughs) it was mesmerizing you know that's why i do it so that (laughs) you just get kind of lost you can't remember what we discussed yeah (laughs) well and i think I, I was told some, oh, Josh, go ahead. Cause I think you have something before we move on. Oh, I was just funny. Yeah. Well, no, it wasn't going to be funny. I was just going to say uh, that if, if my memory serves me correctly, um, the question that we ask everybody, Marty, yeah. we asked Bonnie the first time she came on. And by we, I mean me, because it's my fault. You didn't have anything to do with it. And this happened once also when I was on the podcast, we got all the way to the end of the episode and we were like, oh shoot, we never asked him the question. So <laughs> then we asked it like the end. Um, oh. So, Bonnie, usually when we ask this question, we tell people, you've probably heard if you've listened, that like, yeah. if you don't get the answer to this question right, then we probably will just end the podcast now. Oh, no. Um, but then also, no one this will listen so to it stressful. because we won't even release it. Like, we're not going to release a 10 <laughs> <laughs> If it gets um, released, you answered correctly. Oh, yes. my gosh. This is so much pressure. <laughs> So we're we're gonna we're gonna ask you to um, to right now read the entire book of Genesis, but in Hebrew. No, I'm, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I'm um, like, bye. <laughs> uh, who who is your favorite ice hockey team? Um. Oh, you know what? I do know. So my dad played ice hockey. Oh, cool. So I know a few teams. I'm okay. going to pretend this is right. This is my dad's favorite team or was when I was a kid. So I'm hoping I remember it correctly. It's the only, no, I know two teams, but I don't like the other team. The St. Louis Blues. Yeah, straight That's up. That's a team. Yes. It is a team. Good job. You win. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my dad's going to be so proud. What's that? Are, are you, are you from that area? Like you from around that area? My dad is. He grew up there. Okay. Okay, cool. Yeah. I've been to a few ice hockey games, but all college. So uh, we always went to, um, I was in Denver when I was a teenager. So we always went when DU, Denver University played Colorado College because my parents were alums. So they were always there. It's so, um, there's a lot of fighting. Yeah. (laughs) 
and it's freezing. I hate being cold. So it, like it was, it's a hard sport for me to get into, but I appreciate the enthusiasm. Sweet. I can dig it. <laughs> well, but I think we should also ask the second yeah. question we ask because Go for this it. is the second time on the podcast. Okay. Um, who, who is the fate? Who's the favorite? Who is your favorite live music act that you've ever seen? And it has to be live. Okay, that's, that's a great question. The, that's a toss up between, in terms of musicianship, okay, not in terms of like heart love, okay, I'm going for how good they were live, is um, that is a huge toss up between Dave Matthews Band and then John Mayer, but only at his Red Rocks performance. So I've actually seen him twice at Red Rocks and then once I saw him in Irvine. But get this, remember how he went through that, I don't even know, like faith crisis where he had the nodes and so he couldn't talk for a long time. Mm -hmm. yeah. do you remember that and then he came mm -hmm. back and he was like oh my gosh i realized how much i took it for granted and he came back and was like super humble and kind so yeah. i saw him twice before that and then i saw him after and when we saw him after he was at red rocks that was the second red rocks i saw him and he was so humble and so kind he was amazing on the guitar but what was cool is he was still getting his voice back Mm. so he's like i'm gonna try this out and his voice kept cracking and he kept like fumbling and it was so endearing because he just kept trying like he was yeah. embarrassed but he was courageous and he was kind it was it was really neat so those it's a toss-up between those two because he also it's dave so he's just good right <laughs> yep. sweet yeah. all right bonnie well can you just uh so fill us in i know you were on but it, it has been a while can you yeah. uh just kind of like tell us a little bit about yourself and then also uh for those who do remember the last episode can you just like catch us up like what's new what have you been up to since you know i think it's been almost over a year i guess it has been it over has. a year yeah. yeah that's crazy so yep i my name is bonnie i live in austin texas i have a husband we've been married about 12 years i have two kids nine and three and we are virtual schooling so mm. i'm pretending like i know how to do stuff but i don't and um <laughs> Yeah. So we, let's see. I, uh, grew up in the church have since, um, just kind of had my own faith journey in which, uh, I just hold things differently. Now we don't currently attend a weekly church, which was weird for a long time. My like inner fundamentalist was really kind of coming out. It, it was really tough because even when we sometimes found a church, we loved the children's programs. Like even if it was a more progressive, like kind of deconstructed um, adult church service, the children's programs were still, um, sort of these shame-based approaches. Mm -hmm. And I, we just like couldn't in good conscience send our kids there. So, uh, we found community in other ways, but before that I, um, like professionally speaking, I'm a spiritual director at radical wellness collaborative, which is really neat. Awesome. It's like a, yeah, it's this really neat group of women and we, it's all virtual. It's all online. And I'm there doing this, or doing spiritual direction. And we have an Enneagram coach. We have a few therapists. We have an embodiment coach that does nutrition and getting your, in the body. So it's really neat because clients come and they get a full wellness plan that sort of, they get time with each of us. So it's like cool. this holistic approach, mind, body, and spirit, which is really neat. So I do that with them. And then I am the author of Tim Shell. And we have also a podcast called The Tim Shell Cast. Um, but before that, I had been a pastor for about 10 or 15 years, like in some sort of pastoral role. Mm -hmm. And that 
was great for the time. I think I really learned a lot. I grew a lot. Um, and I have my bachelor's in world religions and then I have my master's from Fuller Seminary in theology. So really what happened was that we had this like terrible year and all these awful things happened to us. And so it really propelled our deconstruction journey. And so when that went on, I just really began to search like everything I knew to be true about God just didn't really hold up anymore. So I wasn't sure why I wanted to find out why. Um, and I also was really tired of feeling like there was one way to look at the text. Mm. I knew from mm. my schooling, I knew from all my years as being a pastor that to just open it up and find one reading of it wasn't true to what the text was meant to be in the first place. Um, but also what it really was in life. So I had this crazy idea about almost two years ago, maybe three. I can't, time is, what is time now? I don't, even, I don't even know. Yeah. <laughs> it was a while ago, kind of. It was a while ago. It also feels super new. So I don't, I don't know. Just track it. Um, but I had this idea was, what if we took some of the most common biblical stories that we've all heard and we, I retranslated it, but to put in the background, the cultural, historical, the Greek and the Hebrew in the text. So it would read very easily. So anybody could pick it up. That's like brand new to the faith could pick it up. Anybody that has deconstructed and see it from a new lens, but also get all this background information on it. So as we were working on it, um, something that really came out was this idea that a lot of times we go to the text and what's tough about how we interact with it is that we don't see ourselves in it. Like there's mm. such a big disconnect. It's this ancient thing and we're here. So in order to find ourselves in the text or to be able to connect it to our life right now and to like how God is moving now, um, I really wanted us to pull out the inner journey of some of the characters. So I think one of the biggest problems is that we often read the Bible and nobody seems to be reacting in the ways that we would be reacting if, that, if we were in those situations. And I don't think that's because they're not. I think it's a problem with our translations. They're just, mm. they're very cut and dry and they're very word for word. And we miss a ton of the nuances of the original language and of the mm. context. So we decided to write what's called an idiomatic translation. So it's 20 stories, 10 in the old, 10 in the new Testament. Um, and it, idiomatic it functions more like a midrash does um mm -hmm. which it brings out like the thoughts feelings and emotions that would be true to those characters the biblical characters um in the story based on their surrounding climate so yeah. we decided yeah so we decided we'd do that we put it on kickstarter um we had like a thirty-two thousand dollar goal and we raised i think like almost fifty thousand and so we got to do it. we got to publish it and all the backers got it in January, which was really neat. And then now um, we're just still going. We've got things in the works and we're selling it. And yeah, it's, it's a super fun project. And it's been fun to watch how everybody responds to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. And so um, for the, the people who didn't listen to the first episode, last time you were on, we talked about uh, two passages in particular, we talked about the Abraham and Isaac story, and then mm -hmm. we talked about the um, the woman that poured oil on Jesus's feet. Mm -hmm. um, and that was mm -hmm. th that conversation was so cool. It's still one of my favorite episodes that we've done. And so, listeners, if you haven't heard that, you should go check that out now, and then come back, and we'll talk some more. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Episode twenty seven. Um, but just uh, for again, quick review: uh, what what does Tim Shell mean? Yeah. 
Great, great question. So it's actually first used, it means thou mayest, like loosely translated, or we, you have a choice. So it's first used in Genesis 4 when Cain kills Abel. And God's talking to Cain and he says, you know, like what happened? And he says, well, I killed him because of this reason. And God sort of uses it as this way to say, um, like, sin and temptation will always be knocking at your door. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he uses that word, but you have a choice what to do with it. Like you have a choice of where to go and what to do. And so what's interesting is that when I was writing it, I, I loved that idea, this idea of that, like, we have a choice of how we read scripture. We have a choice of how we interact with each other. We have a choice of the words we use, the language we use, all of those things. So I wanted that to be the title. Uh, but then on a personal note, when we, part of our story is that we had a stillborn son and we ended up cremating him and we spread his ashes actually up at Red Rocks. And when we were walking down from, from that experience, I turned my phone on to just listen to some, like have some music in the background. Oh, we were, it was like this long hike down. And uh, the first song that played was Mumford and song, Mumford and Son's song, Tim Shell. And it's this beautiful song. So on a personal note, that also felt really true to sort of how this, our deconstruction journey even began. I love that. It's, yeah. it's, and I love that it's not just um, an abstract concept, that it's a personal mm-hmm. aspect to you, that, that, that that's, that's a part of it. And to me, that always makes something even better, you know, yeah. when, it, when there's a personal attached. Um, so like, what does the process or method look like for doing this translation? Yeah. Um, it's so funny you ask that because when I started to do it, I didn't have a process. It was like, (laughs) I've never done this. I don't really know what to do on a small scale. Pastors do this type of thing almost every Sunday, right? If they're writing their own sermons, you're looking at, okay, what pastor am I going to do? And then you sort of keep zooming out, right? Like what's happening in the chapter, what's happening in the, the whole book, what's happening in that, you know, keep zooming out. Um, and then you're also doing a bunch of narrowing in on the different words and stuff. So I would usually start and I would read it in all the translations that we already have. Um, and then, so your new King James, like all those ones, the, the main ones. And then um, I would go to the original languages, the Greek and the Hebrew. And look, one of the hardest things about this was that they're in so many different translations, they're translated differently because one Greek word has 10 or 15 different meanings and even more so usually in Hebrew. And then it depends on the, um, not only that, but then it changes based on the verb tense and based on um, the cultural. And there's so many different things. And even like in Hebrew is a very gendered language. So then it depends on if it's a male, masculine or feminine noun pronoun. So it's, there's so much in there. So I would look and try to figure out why did they choose this one? And if they chose that one, if they chose that word, oh, I see how then they get this meaning versus that meaning. So I tried to figure that out first to just take a look at where my problematic word's gonna be. Um, And then the other thing I did is read, 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 read a trillion books on the history and the culture, whatever passage I was working on. And across the board, that was super important to me. I wanted to read people that I normally wouldn't read or agree with to people that I totally love everything they do. Um, I really wanted this broad spectrum so I could try to figure out um, how do they get this? How do they come up with this? And then what do I think the text is actually saying? So um, from there, we had a psychologist on our team and he's a, he was a good friend of mine. He's a PhD, he's a teacher and he also, he's a professor at a university, but he also has his own practice. And so 
when once I would figure out between the history, the culture, and the words, um, sort of what was going on in the text, I would say, um, hey, so like the anoint Jesus anointing or the woman anointing Jesus' feet with oil. That's a perfect example because, um, so you're looking at this text. I always read the text as she was just weird, right? She was just this weird lady that walked in and poured her perfume. And once we get to the cultural and the history in there, we realize she's actually um, what we would call a prostitute. But then when I dug deeper, um, prostitute as we know it, it would not be the right term. The right term for us to use would be a sex slave. So she was actually probably what we would call some, somebody being trafficked. So if that's the case, then I would turn to my friend who's a psychologist and we would do research together on like, what happens when somebody is trafficked? What, what's the abuse? What's the emotional abuse? What's the physical abuse? What's the, right? And so we'd fill that in, um, understanding our modern day understanding of psychology plus everything else we've done with the history and the culture. And then we could say, okay, so now we know what she feels like. Now she's not walking in the room as a weirdo. She's walking in because she's desperate to be saved. Uh, one of the things that our psychologist friend said too, is he said, you know, um, oftentimes if people have been trafficked, um, they learn to use their body for all types of love, for friendship, love, for romantic love, for anything. And so what she's doing there, when she like puts her face all over Jesus's face or feet, it's, that's kind of sexual, right? Especially during that time. It's like this very, um, weird act. It's very intimate. And that actually makes sense though, in a setting where somebody has been trafficked. So it broadens the whole story. Now we treat her differently. Now we treat with the interaction between them makes more sense. So then from there, we would just put that in and then I would start writing. And then my editor would write me back like at least 20 million times on each story and say, highlight stuff, do better, cliche. That's not right. <laughs> a new word. <laughs> and then we go back and forth until we felt like, okay, this is a good spot. And then we set it aside and go to the next story and then come back again and again. Yeah. And so, I mean, I guess that, that really leads well into like my other question that I had. Uh, and you've kind of already answered this in some way, but it, like what role does interpretation play in this? Because mm -hmm. like, I know that when I read in my standard NIV, you yeah. know, somebody had to interpret the text in some way. And mm -hmm. then when you read, you know, like the King James, someone had to interpret that as well. So like, how does interpretation play a role in like all the different processes that you do and how you come up with what is there? Yeah. No, that's such a good question. And I think you're so wise too, to say that. So what's so funny is people always say that to me, like, this is your interpretation of it. It doesn't matter if you're going from English to Spanish or French to whatever, French to Portuguese, whoever is translating it, they are bringing their own interpretation and their own lens, their own worldview, their own experiences into the words and into the translation. So whether it's Tim Shell or it's the, the new King James interpretation is baked into translating. You li literally just can't even separate the two. It's, it's impossible. So what's fascinating about that though, is that at first that bothered me. I wanted to be like, no, I'm not interpreting it. And then I realized like, there's no way for me to do this without it. What's neat though, is the more I dug into the history of translation, 
um, I realized that what we did with Tim Shaw was so unique and special because I'm bringing a woman's interpretation to the text, which is very different. So all of our Bibles that we have are all men. There's actually only, I think, been one woman that translated the whole text and she was never even allowed to publish it. So she just wrote it for herself and then it never even got published and she's passed now. I think this was like back in the 1700s. So what's fascinating is one of the biggest pieces of feedback I get is I had no idea how much it would mean to have a woman translate this. And it's often men that say it. Like you catch stuff in the words and in the stories that I never would have thought. So a really, uh, an example that people bring up a lot is Ezekiel 37. It's the land of dry bones, right? And we've always heard this story of like Ezekiel goes in, there's all these bones and um, then God asks him to prophesy. And so he does. And then he raises up this army. So I was always told that story sort of, it always like kind of cross pollinated with this idea of like, American Christianity and like being the best military superpower, right? It was this like army big thing. So I wanted to translate the story because I found it to be fascinating. So I went in there and in the Hebrew, it moves super fast. The story is very, um, has a lot of momentum to it. So it's like something's happening in real time almost when you're reading it. And the other thing that I found to be so interesting is anyway, any place that they use Yahweh, then they use the pronoun he, and any place they're talking about the spirit, they use the pronoun she in the original language. And Hebrew is a very uh, gendered language. So Greek is, has gender, but also has like a neutral and it's Greek isn't as dependent on the genders as Hebrew is. But so when Hebrew uses it, it's a real key. It's like, it's pointing something out very significant in the text. So I knew we can't ignore that. So the first thing I did on that passage is I went through and I kept the translation the same. I just put everywhere for spirit. I changed it from he to she and said, what pops up now? So what was fascinating is when my friend read it, who is a male, uh, to him, it didn't make too much of a difference besides it was like this glaring she. Uh, for me, when I read it, I'm like, oh, this language of these bones in the valley and how when he, they prophesy on these bones and the bones come together, that's womb language. That's this picture of like what happens. That's literally how babies grow in a mother's womb. And uh, then the metaphor becomes the wilderness is this safe place where God and the Jewish culture often talks about Yahweh as being the womb one takes care of her people. So it's a fascinating exercise because as a woman, I'm going to pick up on that because I have felt that I've experienced it. I see myself reflected there and a male might not. One's not better than the other, but I think there's a problem when our texts are only translated by a very certain group of people. We only get that lens. Yeah. And that's really interesting in, 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 in your earlier example of the oil um, mm -hmm. and the, the word commonly just translated as prostitute. Um, and then as you really dig in, it's more sex slave. To me, that is a very male interpretation mm, to look yeah. at this person as a prostitute and mm -hmm. kind of just, I mean, they're immediately written off and cast off as like this person mm. is secondary and lower, but to not take into consideration that maybe this person isn't in this line of work, quote unquote, I'm using air quotes because I yeah. don't believe um, that they don't they want to be. be. Yeah, mm -hmm. like they don't want to be there. They, they're not. Right. They're not hopeful that this is where like that, that this is God's calling on their life. Um, 
and then it brings even more passion into the narrative as she's as she's doing this to Jesus' feet. You 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 see that maybe it's maybe it's not just the idea that this woman loves Jesus so much. Maybe it's also she's looking for rescue, mm-hmm. and that plays yeah. so much into the story of who Jesus is. Yeah. Um, and actually, to me, it makes more sense. Mm. Yeah, she, than just like she spilt her jar. Yeah. Yeah. And like, right. And like, oh, like what a waste, what a wasteful woman. Like, you know, as the disciples say, like, oh, this woman, like she could have used that money. She could have sold it and used the money to help the poor. But -hmm. like Jesus sees that this person is in need of rescue. And this person innately understands that Jesus Mm -hmm. is the rescuer and she can't get it any other way. Like he is her rescue. Like to me, that just comes together in such a beautiful way. So I, I applaud that and I love it. I think it's amazing. Uh, Yeah. Thank you. I think you Someone always says, they're like, how, how did you choose the stories? I'm like, honestly, I just picked the ones that bothered me the most. <laughs> I was like, I've always heard this and it feels so that was such a good one because I like that one is all over women's like Bible studies and things. And the moral is always like, she took her jar and she gave her most precious possession and gave it to Jesus. And then the question, right? You always have these questions like, what is your alabaster jar? And I was always like, I don't even understand what that means. Like, I have no idea what I'm supposed to do with it. <laughs> it's like, yeah. you yeah. know, so, um, yeah, well, I'm, I'm so glad that's a, such a good example, um, that you just gave about the way like a masculine interpretation versus a feminine one. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. We're, always telling, we're always telling people to see, to, to like, especially on our podcast, like to, to see Jesus, to, to seek Jesus mm-hmm. and to seek, him as your king and to seek, you know, the idea, okay, where, where do you find Jesus in this? You know, mm-hmm. and, and, and I think if, if our common interpretations of what something should be, don't lead us to, you know, all of everything that we can get in Jesus. I mean, I, I've always, I've always heard the phrase, there's so much more to, to scripture than what we just get. So like you read yeah. the same passage again later and there's more, there is always yeah. more. There's always um, so more. That, I mean, yeah. And so this, this brings us to the idea that there's always more, there's more to it. And um, perhaps what we've learned doesn't give us the full picture of who Jesus is. Perhaps we don't have that in our just standard interpretation. So I, I like I said, mm-hmm. I love it. Oh, thanks. Yeah. And I think too, you know how it, it says in the new Testament, you know, Jesus says I'm in you and you and me. Right. Mm-hmm. And we're so all very much connected. Um, that's a good example of how my hope for Tim Shell is that not only do we see ourselves in the story, not only do we see Jesus, we see this new dimension that we missed, but that we could build empathy for our neighbor, right? So it's a story about what happens when you're trapped in a lifestyle. And sometimes the, the way that we talk, the way that we act, the things that we do, our mannerisms, those are because of the situation we're living in how many times have you been walking or done something and someone came up to you and your gut instinct is to be afraid or to be like, I don't know, that person was acting weird. A story like this helps us remember, like, maybe they're not acting weird. Maybe they literally need help. And this is just how they know to act. Do you know, you know, it's, it's different. Um, that can be true of people in our life, people who have depression, people who are alcoholics, people who have anxiety. I, I, for one, have struggled with anxiety for a really long time. Um, it's a lot better now cause I did EMDR therapy every time I, I always want to plug it because it has made such a difference in my life. <laughs> um, but before that, the way that I would act because I was in a panic attack, right. Um, wasn't understood by so many people I'd be like, why are you acting weird? Why are you acting this way? Um, 
once I could explain, this is what I'm feeling. It was like, oh, she's acting that way out of survival. This is how she knows to act in a situation where she gets nervous. So my hope is that uh, through the text, it's a, it's a new approach. It's a bigger picture, but it also helps us see ourselves and our neighbors and build some empathy for people that we wouldn't maybe necessarily um, otherwise. Yeah, I love that. I, and I think you capture that very well um, mm. within Tim's show. It's, I think it's so cool. <laughs> but um, and it, it reminds me too, like, I mean, as you were talking about um, like a, a translation done by a woman, um, it reminds me of, of kind of this idea we've, we've referenced this on the show before, but like, uh, and Jared Bias, I think said it best. He said that all theology has an adjective in front of it. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes we're told that there's theology and then there's feminist theology, there's mm-hmm. liberation theology, there's black theology, blah, blah, blah. But what we call theology, just regular theology is like the white males. It's like white men. <laughs> uh-huh. Yep. Right. Totally. And so it helps, it helps like bring, but then the problem with that is, is you're missing an entire part of the body of Christ, like mm-hmm. completely miss, not even represented, you know, yeah. completely not there. And so um, I love that aspect. And, and I think, pieces, go, sorry, ahead. go ahead. I was going to say some pieces of that theology tell women to go home. Oh yeah, absolutely. So, uh, bringing us back to uh, a couple months ago. No, we can. <laughs> we don't. We, we don't utter that you. gentleman's name on I this show. You <laughs> shall not be named. Yeah, yeah. Lord Voldemort. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, and I think it's interesting too because um, when you were talking about the uh, story, the the dry bones story, the one thing that I actually picked up on the most was the interplay of mm. Yahweh and the Spirit, the He and yeah. the She. And it working together. I thought it was so cool. Mm. It was, yeah, really, um, I really enjoyed uh, that story and like the retelling and the, um, I liked how you talked about like the narrator basically like identifies with the bones in the story. Yeah. Oh, these could be someone's mother or brother or sister or Mm -hmm. um, are these bones me? Am am I these dry bones? And so I thought it was so cool that you, you brought all of that into it. Oh, that's so neat. Yeah. Thanks for saying that. It's well, that was a fun passage. Um, my editor actually really helped. He, his name is Jeremy Armstrong. If you haven't, he actually has a, he would, he's always like, he's so shy, but he has a book on Amazon that is fabulous. It's like faith oh, cool. stories, but he's really cool. It's Jeremy Armstrong. So look him up, but, um, Jeremy Armstrong. Yeah. He, um, when we were doing that one, he was like, Hey, I think I could offer like some perspective here. And I was like, yes, of course. And he used to live, I believe it was in Cambodia, and he would do tours, like these historical tours. That was his job. And one of the tour stops that he had to do was this mass grave from a genocide. Mm-hmm. And he was like, it was this, it was always, I did the tour hundreds and hundreds of times. And every single time it made me sick to my stomach and like took my breath away because it was these human skulls. And so he described to me what it was like to sit there and stare like every single day at these skulls and those types of questions. And so that was a really neat and personal experience for him that he got to bring into the text because I have never seen a human skull where I'm just staring at him, you know? And so that was really neat. So I'm glad that that hit you. He'll be happy to hear that. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, and I want to say really quick too about that he and the she. Um, yeah. What's neat about that? So people always ask like about 
strong women. They're like, they, first of all, they use feminist like it's a bad word, which I don't think it is. Um, but they're always, they're saying like, so what's your goal? What's your goal here? You want to just like write your own translation. You want to, I'm like, no, my goal, at, I could care less about um, like competing. That's not the arena I'm in, if that makes sense. So that he and the she, what I think is the most important is when we can all come together and there's both of us at the table, right? It's, it's, it literally is e equality. If, if it's just women, we now are in our own cage because now it's only our perspective. So it's easy to like have the pendulum swing, right? To have the pendulum swing. So um, I really like that passage specifically because it shows what can happen when we all work together because men have just a different way of being in the world than women do, but we really need each other in order to accomplish these, these huge things. And we see that yeah. so much now in politics and the polarization oh of it. And <laughs> I mean, it's insane. So it's, it's just this constant reminder of like, no, 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 this is not, we're not here to um, <laughs> compete with each other. And I think it was Christina Cleveland. Have you heard of her? She does um, she's great. She's one of my favorite theologians. She's um, this black woman and she does black liberation theology plus divine feminine. That's like her main oh, goal. Yeah, she's awesome. And one of the things I heard her say that really struck a chord with me, she said, a men's approach to um, a men's approach to spirituality has always been marked by transcendence. So how can I get above and out of this situation I'm in to experience God? Whereas a woman's based, usually based on just society, we're usually the ones that are home or we're doing that or whatever. A woman's is to go deeper in. It's in like the small things, the snotty noses, the this and that, right? Yeah, yeah. And so it's so funny because people always say to me, they're like, are you going to write a whole new Bible? And I'm like, no, <laughs> because then I'm doing the exact same thing. I'm building empires and I'm making this doctrine and I'm doing that thing when I think that's where we went wrong in the first place. So, mm. and it's just, it's interesting. Yeah. But that's... It, it, and men tend to be very goal oriented mm -hmm. is, you know, and like the idea of transcendence, it's like, okay, as long as I finish this thing, then I'll be done. Mm -hmm. And I don't have to do it anymore. And yeah. I, I don't think that women aren't goal oriented. That's not what I mean. I, I just, I think that like men tend to be more very like, you know, I'm going to achieve this and I'm going to achieve greatness by this mm -hmm. um, and sometimes tend to gloss over what it takes to get there. Uh, I, yeah. and I, I realize that's very stereotypical and like, wow, that's very Mark. gender specific, but because <laughs> uh, I, I, I just think that like that's, that tends to be, I mean, that, that's kind of like the quote unquote American dream, right? You yeah. Know, like how do I achieve greatness uh, or my own piece of greatness and then you know once i do it okay well now now what like it's it's like once you get there you don't know what to do with the fact that you've achieved it's um, so fascinating you said that okay so i teach a class with my with radical wellness on divine feminine on the divine feminine and one of the things we talk about is in story but also in life there's this thing called the hero's journey and the heroine's journey and so the hero's journey it can be man or woman everybody goes on multiple heroes journeys throughout their life. And it's basically, they feel an itch, something's unsatisfactory. So they go and they're like, I'm going to go get that prize. I'm going to save the girl. I'm going to whatever. And they go on this quest in order to get that prize that they want. Um, it could be even just a promotion at work, right? So it's whatever the goal is. Along the way, they're going to come up against uh, things that are really hard. They're going to slay the dragon. There's going to be um, talk that's bad. They're, something's going to happen, right? They have like this dark night of the soul where they're like, oh, I don't know. And right when they think they've lost it, 
they end up like doing one final push and they get the reward. And what happens then is they bring the reward back to the community. The community applauds them. It's like, oh my gosh, you're amazing. They have this like famous moment. Um, and then it sort of dies down and they realize I have that itch again. I got to go back out and do that. And so it's like this literal loop, right? Yeah. Of things. So we all do that. Now, sometimes somebody decides, I don't want to do that anymore. This is boring. This isn't fulfilling me, right? I'm, this is, I'm literally just stuck in this ridiculous and for what? And so at that point, they go and they say, I'm going to get off this journey and I'm going to get on a new path. And that's the path we call the heroine's path. And that path is marked by, um, I'm not bringing something back. I'm not looking for applause. Um, I'm changing who I am. I'm changing this like world around me. And so it's this whole other path. And Maureen Murdoch has a really good book on it called The Heroine's Journey. Uh, but it's exactly what you're talking about. It's this idea of oftentimes men, but also women, we have been told this is how you gain success. You have to do things the men's way and earn men's standard and men's success. This is how it is what we do in America. This is how we do it. And, and so what's tough about that is women, we often are kind of warring against that because we have this other desire, this other way to do stuff, but we're often told you're not going to make it if you don't. So it's, um, it's this beautiful, it's this beautiful picture of that, but that's a really good book if you want to check it out. Yeah, I'll, um, I'll be sure to link it in the show notes. And that's, that's super interesting. I haven't heard that, that language before. Um, mm. I feel like I have to talk to you more off air about that because that language of heroin's journey kind of resonates pretty deeply with me currently, yeah. just in my current life stage. Um, yeah, I'd so really, Yeah, that's interesting. Sweet. Yeah. Cool. Well, before we get into some of like the examples from the book, I, just, I think we just wanted to ask one other question. So how has Tim Shell been received? Yeah. You know what? Um, so at first there was a lot of naysayers. There were just like haters on the thing. Yeah, haters, <laughs> and, um, haters going to hate. They sure yeah. are. Yeah. Um, and it was funny because it was uh, so predictable. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it was like, I knew they would come out of the woodworks. I knew what they would say. Um, I spent a lot of times in those early days of the Kickstarter trying to defend it. And then I kind of realized, oh wait, they just don't have to buy it right? Like, <laughs> yeah, don't, don't read it if you don't want to. <laughs> totally. Yeah. So, um, what was interesting is I do a lot of work in my spiritual direction, but then I also, I myself see a spiritual director. He's this, um, Jewish rabbi and he's like so oh, cool. amazing. Yeah. And it was so funny. Someone was like, I can't believe that you see a spiritual director. Who's a Jewish rabbi. I was like, well, technically, so was Jesus. So. I was going to say, we're, as a Christian, we kind of follow one. Yeah. <laughs> Which I just like, the irony was so good. Um, and then I also go to therapy. And then I also have a creative coach. So I'm like seeing all, there's like a lot of ships keeping this one afloat. You know what I mean? So, yeah. um, but one of the things that they all have taught me is to use pain as a way or use criticism or use failure as like a way um, to be like, no, this is an invitation for me here. There's something for, to grow. And so when that happened, at first I was really down, right? It was like my old way of being of like, if they think this is wrong, the gatekeepers, if the gatekeepers of translations and of evangelical church think this is wrong, then it must be wrong. Um, and then I realized, wait a second, no, they think it's wrong because for some reason, this is threatening to them, right? 
so that it ended up shining such a light on them more than me, right? To be like, I am literally this random woman in Texas doing this thing. And for some reason, this is so threatening to you that you feel the need to call me names and to tell me you're praying against me and to, right? So, and when once I was able to like shift my focus and see it that way, I just felt empathy. I felt like sadness and it actually made me feel like, no, this is why we have to do this because there is this gatekeeper. So um, I pushed through, wrote the whole thing, which was tough. Writing it was hard because there were some things like the he and she, for example. I knew if I just leave it he, they'll have less things to grumble at me about, right? <laughs> and then I had, but it was one of those things where I'm like, I cannot write to the critics. Like that's what, this, that's the whole problem. So once it was released, um, I've been so overjoyed because the feedback, the way people have received it is they have just loved it. I get emails and like DMs on social media all the time. And people are like, I can't tell you how much this has saved me in this pandemic, or this has saved me in my journey. Like I was told the Bible wasn't for me. And um, now I say that's not true. Or I find people are like, as one person said, like <laughs> the, um, the words of the Bible just sort of started sounding like the parents from Charlie Brown. Like it was just <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. And they were like, but when I read that, like I felt like the world stopped. And I got to like fall in love with scripture again. So people are challenged. They're excited. I think people feel known and heard for the first time. Uh, one of the most memorable um, emails I received was from this woman. And it was right after George Floyd, Floyd was murdered. And she lived um, like in a neighboring city. And she said that everybody in her town and in her neighborhood obviously was super bent out of shape about the whole thing. And so she said, we were at... Um, we were at a neighborhood vigil and mm. there was a bunch of us and we were all there and we didn't know what to do. And somebody in the crowd owned a Tim shell. <laughs> I, I had never heard of it. And so she stood up at the vigil and read the Beatitudes. Oh, wonderful. Translated. Yeah. And because one of the things in there is say blessed, um, blessed is the black man who is wrongfully punished. That's one of mm -hmm. the things we have in there. And she said, we read the Beatitudes and she was like, everybody was just weeping. Mm. And she's like, I can't tell you what it felt like that this ancient concept of God was aware and present in this situation that was modern and that we feel like we're alone. So yeah. that was like such a, like such a gift. It was such a joy. Um, and then it was neat because everybody tells their friends. And so then people, our second round, we're like, okay, we'll sell more. Cause I didn't know what I was going to do with it. Right. I was like, I don't know. I wrote this thing and I'm not sure. And so <laughs> more people uh, keep yeah. buying it. And we're doing a thing right now that if you buy it, like you pre-order it for like the next month and then we'll send them off to print. Um, you get a free digital download immediately. Mm -hmm. So I think people have really liked that because they get to read it before they have it in their hands. And especially in this time where everything feels really upside down and disconnected, it's been, I think, a source of connection for people. Yeah, that's so beautiful. And that's so cool to hear, especially too, because like from the, just the circles that I swim in, I've heard people talk about it in such a way as like in the past, you know, I haven't been able to read the Bible anymore because it had been weaponized against me or like yeah. all these different things. And then they're like, but with Tim Shell, I actually mm -hmm. felt like I could read the Bible again. Like it's mm -hmm. a, it's a, like an invitation, like a welcome mat or like a, a new door, like, Hey, come, you know, check out over here. It's cool. Yeah. Kind yeah. of thing. And so I think that's super neat. Um, that's cool. Being able to connect people that way. And um, also too, before we had got on, you had mentioned um, that it would be fun to do like a, kind of like a free giveaway. 
Yes, uh, I would love listener. that. Yeah, so I think what we could do then is um, if you're listening to this episode, you could go on to uh, Instagram. And if you don't already um, like and follow myself and also Bonnie, then be sure to do it. By, by myself, I mean the podcast, uh, Rethinking Faith. Uh, and Bonnie. <laughs> like, wait, so just, Tim just Tim Josh. Tim Show. Yeah, yeah. Go <laughs> on. And then do you want to, how do you want to do it, Bonnie? Do you want them to like comment on like a Tim Show thing on Instagram? Do you want them to like comment on the post that we put up about the episode? Yeah, let's comment on your post. Okay, cool. So like follow both of us and comment on yours and you can write go. whatever. Yeah. Sweet. All right, we'll write, we'll write a scathing review. Um, <laughs> <laughs> No. Sweet. Awesome. Well, yeah, that's, that's good, Bonnie. So uh, thank you for that. And listeners be sure to yeah. do that because this thing seriously um, is awesome. And so mm-hmm. I'm going to kind of put you on the spot, Bonnie. So feel free to say no. Okay. But one thing that I really, really uh, loved in Tim show was your translation of Psalm 23. Oh yeah. So I would like to talk about it, but is there any way that you'd be willing to read it to us? I totally will. Awesome. Absolutely. It's so funny. So that, um, a Tim Shaw reader is, uh, really close with the, um, like, I don't think he's a pastor there, but he, he sometimes teaches at his church in LA. It's this great open and affirming church in LA called New Abbey and they have online services. And so yesterday he preached from Tim Shell. It was (laughs) so cool. So cool because it was just this moment of like, Oh my gosh, like human resilience, like when we, I don't know, it just, I, it wasn't lost on me that, um, it takes a lot of bravery and courage to preach from it. Right. Um, and it wasn't lost on me either. This idea of the human spirit of like, we need to feel loved, known, seen and connected. And there comes a point where we need that more than we need to like follow these arbitrary rules. Mm -hmm. And so we're just, we're going to forge ahead. So it was a beautiful, it was a beautiful thing. So yes, I will totally read that to you. Awesome. Okay, so we did, um, we changed all the names so that we changed this one to Yahweh is like a shepherd. Um, Here we go. Okay. Yahweh is like a shepherd to me and I cannot help but trust him. I cling to this hope. A time is near where I will have every need fulfilled. I repeat this to myself. If I let it go, I fear I am in danger of turning to evil and revenge is calling my name. At the thought of this, I close my eyes and I can see him now. The shepherd compels me towards a different path. The grass is cool beneath me and the sun is shining on my face. I am sprawled out in lush fields. I am warm and I am safe. When I am in need, he leads me to untroubled waters. And finally, I am at peace. Inhale and exhale, in and out. His spirit makes me come alive again. He leads me on never-ending paths of righteousness. They go around and around again, over and over, covering the whole earth. Every avenue is marked with his name, and I have a choice to make. Swiftly, I am pulled out of this hope, and darkness threatens to surround me. Deep, dark ravines are before me, and death is imminent. I close my eyes tight, tighter still, and repeat what I want to be true. I will not fear the path of wickedness. It does not have to consume me. It will not have the final word. I am still the sheep and I see the shepherd beside me. His rod and staff comfort me. It is his job to watch over the flock. Rescue is his name. You are arranging a table before me, Yahweh, and I see you now. 
It is overflowing with goodness and plenty, Ab abundance, the main ingredient of every dish, beauty in every drink. All the falsehoods within me are, are also laid bare on this table. They are marked by scarcity, vengeance, and lies. They are my enemies. Which will become my feast? Will I delight in goodness or let evil become my sustenance? How can I live in a world of evil and not let it rule over me? Timshell is on the table. Meditating again, I close my eyes and you are there. You anoint my head with oil and you call me your own. Even in the face of darkness, when there is no hope and the choice is hard, the decision still belongs to me. I envision myself walking the path with your name on it. I am taken back to Eden and you meet me there. We sit and eat. My cup overflows. I want goodness and mercy to be in constant pursuit of me, so I never have to choose. It feels too hard, the pressure too great, but to this table and with this feast, I know I will return, for it is my invitation to choose if I will dwell in the house of Yahweh today and forevermore. Boom. That's exactly why I should go pick up a freaking copy of Tinshaw <laughs> right now. <laughs> Oh my god! Uh, I just I love that so much. Um, mm, I actually, so I'm I'm gonna call but, you when I get my copy. I'm gonna call you every night, and we can just read it. You can just read it to me, <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then you can read it to my kids, and then you can... <laughs> <laughs> just want to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, it's it's so beautiful. I actually, I read it out loud twice this morning because um, you know I I read it to myself, and then. I read it out loud to my wife and then um, we have friends living with us right now. And so when uh, our friend came downstairs this morning for breakfast, I read it to them as well. Oh, fun. It's so beautiful. Yeah. I, I love the, the, the push and pull between mm -hmm. good and evil mm -hmm. that, that is, that works its way through the whole thing. And then um, just the, the idea of, uh, I think it parallels it, the idea of like the inhale and the exhale of Yahweh's mm -hmm. spirit, like breathing in, um, it, yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> I know. It's so, I love that you love it. This is one of my hardest ones to write because um, I had, I mean, honestly, zero idea what to do with it. Yeah. I was like, I don't know. And also it felt like, well, can we, it's, we can't mess this one up. Like everybody <laughs> recites this one. Everyone knows this one, right? right? So I was kind of bummed when I like had to write it. I was like, <laughs> dang it. Um, I called a friend of mine who's a rabbi. This is actually so funny. We were in art class together in middle school. And oh, then cool. we lost touch and then we have now gotten back into touch. And here I am this like progressive woman pastor and she's a progressive woman rabbi at now. And um, so we were talking about this. And one of the things that I kept saying to her is I kept saying, well, I don't understand who his enemies are. Like, what are we talking about here? Like what's going on? And she was like, oh my gosh, you're missing the point. I was like, what do you, what do you mean? And she said, the way this is written is would be like a prayer or a meditation. He is telling himself what he needs to hear. Um, he is a representation of each and every one of us, of like you said, this good and evil that lies within each of us. So that's where that Tim Shell is, right? You have a choice. We have a choice of how we're going to act and react. And so she said, the enemies are his own parts of him. That's what's on the table. It's like, you see all this goodness in front of you, but then you also see the bent we have to seek revenge. We see the bent we have to um, act on our jealousy or whatever it might be. And so what we have to do is continually make the choice to not do that, to walk in this other path. 
Um, so it became this really meditative experience when we were talking about it, but I had never seen it that way. I had always envisioned it. And I think that's part of American Christianity of like, who's my enemy? Who's going to threaten my livelihood? Who's going to disrupt this thing we've created? So to realize, oh my gosh, that's in me. Um, was, it's, that's a game changer, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I think it, and it, it, uh, brings so much to just this idea of, um, humility to, to recognize. Um, cause I think oftentimes, especially within evangelical Christianity, we, we have like the pendulum either swings one or two ways, either you're a total piece of shit and mm-hmm. there's nothing good about you or people push hard against that, which is fair. I get that because that's a, you know, toxic teaching. And then there's just like, Oh no, everything is good and great. And everything is perfect. When in reality, it is more of a, a both end. Like mm-hmm. the, the line of good and evil isn't between us and them, but it you know runs down each and every single one of us. We all have mm-hmm. the propensity to do enormous good, and we all mm-hmm. have the propensity to do really shitty things. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. So I love that. It 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 just it speaks again, and I think this is what Tim Shell does so so well is it speaks to my human experience. Yeah, this is what it feels like to be a human, and wow scripture's coming alive and I, I get it. I resonate with it. It makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It makes more, thanks for saying that. It makes more sense than at least the other one. Right. Like I always think about that and something that I've been, um, you put that really beautifully to words. Cause something I've been dealing with too, is I was talking with them across the board, every single one of my clients at some point they're they're usually all women, but men are welcome. Um, but, um, <laughs> they usually come and and the thing every single one of them has always said was, um, I don't trust myself or I don't let myself do something I want to do, or I don't Mm. whatever, because I know I'm inherently bad. And so then of course I say, well, how do you know that? Where did you get that? And they always say, well, you know, because Adam and Eve, what's so fascinating is that we often say, well, Adam and Eve, there was this fall and it was like the introduction of sin. The word sin is actually not even used in that <laughs> chapter. It's used in when Cain kills Abel. And he says like, no, no, this is when you damage the Imago Dei and someone else. That's what mm-hmm. we, and um, on the Tim Shaw cast just a few weeks ago, oh, we just put it up last week. We interviewed Amy Jill Levine and um, this uh, rabbi, Rabbi Sasso, and they were discussing, she said, you know, in the Jewish religion, we actually believe that everybody is born good. Mm, and mm. what you decide to do in the little and the big ways um, makes you into the person you are. And I was telling that to someone and they said, well, then Jesus dying doesn't have any point. And I'm like, well, not necessarily true. Think about it. The Jews, they still sacrificed. They still said like, hey, I still have these parts of me that I need forgiveness for. Um, but it's, it's a it's a difference. And it also is so funny because then people are like, well, what about when Paul said? I'm like, well, I don't, that idea of the fall didn't come until way later. So Paul isn't, we're reading that into the text. Yeah. We have to take that out and have this like reality check of like, no, there is good and bad. It is this thing that I have to weigh out and literally every choice I make, like how we do anything is how we do everything. Mm -hmm. So I have to continually. Yeah. Yeah, And I I think too, that it makes so much more sense because like the, um, the way I read Paul is, uh, I mean, very much in debt to N.T. Wright, as you can Mm -hmm. see here. (laughs) I know, I love N.T. Wright. Um, But he, I mean, he talks about sin as a vocational failure. And Mm. I think that makes so much more sense because the idea is you're created in the image of God to be very good, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, 
what, and that's why we were made to reflect the image of God into all of creation. And sin is failing to do that very thing. Yeah. Yes. And so Jesus comes to show us a better way to be human, how to be what we were created to be. Jesus yeah. is restoring us back to what God made us, um, which I think is great. And also too, I'd be interested to hear your opinion on this, uh, but I have a friend named Bruxy. Um, he's a pastor up in, in Canada at a church called The Meeting House. And we were talking recently about um, how people say, they'll quote like, oh, your heart is evil and you know you can't trust it. Um, but Bruxy was like, well, that's, that's kind of like an Old Testament bit because, and then even within the Old Testament, that gets caught into question because we're told that we're going to have a new heart and a new spirit and all these different things. And then Jesus comes and Jesus fulfills that, right? That's the idea. And so as Christians walking in the spirit or as, or as people you know, connected with the divine, whatever language you want to use, then that, that's what we're to follow. So yes, you can trust because Jesus renewed the heart. Is, mm-hmm. does, that, does that make sense? Or? Yeah, no, I think that makes total sense. And I would take it even a degree further because in, yeah, go for it. in, um, in the Old Testament, when they're talking about heart, that's not at all the same thing we're talking about. So they're not talking about like the emotional seed of things. When they are talking about that, they're talking about, they use a word for gut. It's like mm. that gut feeling, right? Like, yeah. oh, if you're talking to somebody and they like have betrayed you or something and you feel like you've been punched in the gut or you walk into a room and you're like, oh my gosh, I just knew, like I just had this feeling, right? So that's, um, those are different concepts. So for, um, as far as I understand, and I could totally be wrong, but as far as I understand, um, the Jewish concept of like heart and mind, these okay. things were one. Right. Mm-hmm. It was like one idea. It, w- it was not how we have separated it out. We have okay. separated it out now because we just know more now. Right. We just, whatever. So we're reading that into the text a lot. Gotcha. Um, but for, so for Jesus to come, I think where the trust comes is that I'm in you and you're in me is that like that spirit is in us. Mm-hmm. And so that's different. That's a wisdom move. That's like a, yeah. no, you feel that here. And you just know that's that gut piece of like, I just mm. knew the right thing to do. Right. Yeah. So I think that's where we end up learning to trust it because the spirit is in you and the spirit's mm-hmm. in me. And so, um, we can do it that way. Yeah. I love it. Wisdom, wisdom and discernment as mm-hmm. a, a mutual friend of ours always likes to say, everything is discernment from the top down mm-hmm. or from the bottom up, you know, if you want to flip it, but yeah. 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 And as I, as you were reading this, something came out to me as, as we were kind of looking through and it's, it's an interesting, at least to me. And so I had the benefit of reading it along with, with you as you were reading it, because I have the EPUB in front of me. Oh, cool. um, so I realized that the listeners may not have had that benefit. Um, oh yeah. But as I'm looking at it, so throughout there's, there's this language about uh, it's, it's my choice. I, mm-hmm. I have the op- opportunity to choose. Uh, but then at the end, um, towards the end, you, you say, I want goodness and mercy to be in constant pursuit of me. So I never have to choose. Yeah. Don't we all? Um, yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't that be so, nice? <laughs> yeah. Can you, can you just like, it, it may be super simple and that's fine, but yeah. could you, could you explain that dichotomy? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I think it, um, what we're trying to get at there is all of us have, like we've been talking about this push and pull of good and bad, and we all have to make these choices. Um, another thing to factor in, I think here is that, you know, he was at such a time in his life where he had, um, 
I mean, his, he didn't have, I mean, look at any of the Psalms. It wasn't like this easy going <laughs> thing, right? It was, yeah. um, it was tough. And so it would be so much easier to have a roadmap. It would be so much easier to be like, um, well, I'm always covered by God. And so everything's fine. Right. Um, how many times have suffering happened? I know, for example, with, um, when we lost our son, so many people were like, well, this is just the way it was supposed to be. Like God needed your baby or whatever it is. And it was this moment of like, if I believe that that would be a lot easier because I would not have to decide what to do next. I would just be able to believe, well, like, I don't know, shit happens. Oh, am I allowed to swear? Sorry. I No, I already have a couple of times. So you're good. <laughs> okay, so I was in post, I'm going to put the, I'm going to put the censored beep on it. No, I'm kidding. Okay, <laughs> <you> can. Uh, <laughs> um, but like, that happens and oh well there's nothing i can do right like honestly that feels so much easier it seems a lot less uh gut-wrenching it seems i wish and i think that's what we're trying to get at here is like it would be nice if i believed that everything was um everything was planned everything was good i think we get that concept of god being good wrong right so we often assume like well that hurricane happened but like god is good so it had to happen like there's not, that's not good when all those people die. Right. So, so um, there's this idea of that. And there's this idea of, um, as my rabbi friend said, while we were talking about that, she said, um, when it says, I want goodness and mercy to be in constant pursuit of me. She was like, the truth is, is we all would rather have that. It would be nice to live a life where we don't have to make these hard choices between what is good and what is bad. And she's like, but also on a, on a deeper level, she was like, if you suffer from a mental illness, if you suffer from anxiety, depression, whatever it might be, wouldn't it be nice if you didn't? Wouldn't it be nice if every day you could wake up and feel normal and not have this warring against you? And so mm -hmm. that is a little bit in there as well. Um, my friend that just preached was talking about that and saying like, it's so easy um, for people with depression, it's everything starts spiraling, right? And it can happen fast. And it would be so nice if that wasn't the burden we had to bear, but it's not true all the time for all of us. So it gets at both of those things, um, the day-to-day -day choices, um, but then also this reality of there are some of us who have a chemical makeup in our brain that is inhibiting us <laughs> to be able to function um, normally and to feel safe and good in the world. And so mm -hmm. it would be really nice if I didn't have to do that. And I, yeah, that's, that's really cool. Cause I, I think sometimes the tendency is to just say, Oh, well, this is just how God made you. So just embrace it and live mm -hmm. into it. Yeah. Um, and I think that's really easy to say when times are good. <laughs> or you <laughs> when, don't have it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, and, and, you know, I think about, you know, someone who, uh, has just you know some sort of birth defect where where like they're 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 unable to walk or their mm -hmm. or their arms aren't they, they don't work properly or something like that and uh i think you know um it's easy for me to say oh i mean just you know just embrace the life you you have and and move and live that way and live into it and you know just you know see what god has for you yeah um and that might work for them you know you know two-fifths of the time but right. the other right. three fifths of the time, uh, it's 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 unreasonable and very selfish of me to to assume that for them, 
they don't ever have the thoughts like, I, I wish that I, I wish that I could do this. I wish yeah. that I could use my arms. I wish I didn't have to think of it. I know that that boils it down to a very, you know, this or that kind of thing. But um, I, I think there's, I think there's, I think sometimes we want to gloss over things like that mm-hmm. and ignore the human nature and emotions behind uh, like, and, and the lament behind something yeah. like that, where that mm-hmm. someone has, someone has the hurricane destroy their house. Yeah. And you say, you know, well, Hey, you know, it, you know, think about it, you know, now you have the opportunity to, to rebuild, but then yeah. it's like, well, well, no, I don't, I don't have any money. <laughs> like, yeah. I can't rebuild or like, I'm going to have I'm to like, what years. if I didn't want to? <laughs> yeah. Right. What, what if the way things were, were was great. It was and, fine. Yeah. And it may be true that God had a plan for that, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it's painful. And, yeah. and I think we want to, we want to brush the pain under the rug and move on. And, and mm-hmm. I think sometimes people want us to live in the pain with them in, the, mm-hmm. in that moment or yeah. in those moments or that period of time. So I, I, I it just stuck out to me. I love that. So that's like yeah. the beauty of it. There's so many things that to hear what sticks out to people, it's always different. So it's like, it's so much fun to hear. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sure. And that just based off what you two are saying there too, it just, it reminds me of how much the church has seemingly forgotten the practice of lament. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like I was talking to a, a friend of mine, Keith, uh, recently, and just, you know, he was kind of, uh, you know, expressing that um, and how he himself has been like trying to really live into that practice of lament. Keith is a, a is a, a African-American pastor in an all white church in Ohio. <laughs> and so um, he, yeah. And so he was talking about lament and just with everything, how society is going on right now. So I thought of that. And also too, I think um, it reminds me, Bonnie, I'd be similar to you if, if something, um, you know, so terrible were to happen to me and somebody said, oh, that was just God's plan. Um, I'd probably be pretty pissed off. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I'm at a place where theologically, I think that uh, sometimes, like you said, shit happens. I think those mm-hmm. are things that are arbitrary um, that happen and they're bad. They're not good. They grieve God. Um, yeah. You know, I, I kind of tend to, to um, swim in the open and relational uh you know, schools of thought when it comes to theology. So <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I love that. But yeah. I, hate- I, I think racially too, I think in this, in this time right now, um, I think Christians are, they were eager to be invested in it for a time, but I think now they're, especially white Christians are ready to sweep it under the rug and move on to what's next right. or get back to whatever they were doing before. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, yeah, and Josh and I talked about this a couple months ago on one of our episodes where as a white person, it's easy. I can go back to my white life and sweep that away. And I don't have to think about it because yeah. I'm not personally affected by it. I will never understand what that means yeah. to be a black person in America right now or mm-hmm. ever. Um, yeah. And uh, I think, I think what that community is looking for is for people to stand with them in the lament of what it means to be in that place and not leave and go back to what they were doing before. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, but not try to lead them or tell them what to do next, but to be alongside in the ministry of presence yeah. <laughs> and be, be a part of that change. Not because we will change it, but by being there in support sometimes doesn't mean having all the answers, but I, yeah. I guess it's just, it's just that to me, there's so much to that. Like we are living in a time right now where we can sweep away and we can be done with it. And, and I think like, it'd be nice to never have to choose how to deal with racial inequality in, in America. Uh, but the reality is there, that's, well, that will always be something 
right? It, you know, that, that will, it's not going to go away. It's not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have to, we have to constantly be willing to choose the goodness in that and how, yeah. how to, how, how to treat people and direct people in that way. So. Yeah. Nope. I so agree. And how you said too, like, I mean, that concept we were talking about earlier about the transcendent, right? What we've always done is transcend it. How can we just keep going? How can we pass by it? Whereas I think that feminine, that divine feminine nature is calling to say, no, 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 we have to dig, we have to dig deeper in. Every mm-hmm. time we have that notion of, well, I'm just going to go keep living my life. We have to remember, like, they don't get that luxury. Yeah. And our job is to go deeper in, right? Mm-hmm. That, there's, there's so many passages where we see God depicted as mother. And it's, she's a mother hen. She's a mother bear. So like, even in that, God is like a shepherd. There's a distinct between sheep and shepherd, right? In all of the ones where God is a mother, there's a oneness. It's a, a mom and her young. It's um, a birthing mother. It's a nursing mother. There's this one, there's this um, intimate being, this with presence. That's what the feminine requires of us. And that's how real change is made. So like you're saying, we can't just go on and go, oh, never mind. No, no, we have to go deeper in. We have to find people, hear their stories. We have to get involved. We have to do like find real presence, like in people's pain, exactly what you're saying. So it's just, it's fascinating Mm. because it's all full circle. We just have spent so long on that other side of the spectrum that it feels foreign to us when it's, it's a part of it. Yeah. Sweet. So I have a tangent, a tangential, is that the Mm -hmm. word? Tangential thought real quick. And then I know we've been, we've gone kind of long, but if you have time, uh, could we talk about one more passage after that? Yeah. Or if you need to go, then feel free. I don't want to keep you. But um, no, you're good. Sweet. So the tangential thought is. Um, I can still this... hear the kids, which means they're still alive and fine. Oh, perfect. That's good. <laughs> they're also not fighting. So it's like, yeah. I don't want to interrupt right. them anyway. Right. <laughs> there you fun. go. Yeah. All right. Perfect. Well, the so the tangential thought is like, it, I see this kind of come up uh, throughout Tim Shaw and then also just in some of the language you're talking about. And this, you know, the idea of in and through all things and and we in christ and christ in us those kind of things yeah it seems to speak really uh to what a lot of people call uh panentheism christian panentheism which is which is not pantheism which pantheism is everything is god panentheism is more so like uh everything is within god but god is not the sum of all things like god is everything plus something else like god is still greater than Oh, okay. Um, yeah, but it's it just it it seems like it fits. It resonates like hmm. this in and through all things language mm-hmm. sounds very much like uh, panentheism, um, which I would love to to do some kind of episode on that with somebody someday. Uh, but that's a big idea, and I know people get really scared about it. But maybe that's a, a good reason to talk about <laughs> to do it. That feels right. I feel like the most things I've noticed the best things to talk about are the ones that are the scariest. Right. <laughs> Uh, I can't speak much to that because I actually haven't heard it. So now I want to go oh, look it up. Yeah. yeah. I can send you some resources. Oh yeah, please do. Um, that I might would be love helpful. That. Yeah. yeah and, and also I think um, one place to start and listeners, just in case you're interested as well, uh, a friend of ours, a friend of the, the podcast, Dan Koch, he has a really great show uh, called You Have Permission. And he did an episode with, uh, I believe it was Phil Clayton. And they oh, talked okay. about uh, Christian panentheism. Oh, uh, cool. Phil, Phil's awesome. Uh, he kind of like, if I remember correctly, he also talked about uh, being like a Quaker, like Quakerism. So oh, I don't know if he is a Quaker or if he just has Quaker experiences, but it was super neat. That's interesting. Um, yeah. So it's a cool thing. And it was completely tangential. No, uh, you know what? Though, that reminds, I should look it up. Because so we started it, we did it in a different order. Okay. Tim Shell, so it's not in 
the order that you find it in your Bible. So our first story is John one, uh, mm-hmm. God becomes a human being and it's super, um, everyone's always like, Oh, I loved that. It was so cosmic Christy. Yeah, uh, exactly. It is, you know what I mean? Right. Right. So I'd have to look that up and then read that story and just see the weird thing. The weird thing about creating something, which I did not know, this is the first time I've created something that wasn't like a blog post or like a, just like a quick one-off. Like it was like a deep dive, like big thing for me. And it was a creative project. And the, the thing that my friend kept telling me is he says, as he kept saying to me, he kept being like, that book's going to do something to you. And then it's going to, and then you'll feel like you hadn't written it. It wasn't Mm. you that wrote it. And I kind of was like, oh, okay. But like, Really, that sounds <laughs> <laughs> like kind of woo woo, yeah. Yeah, um, but the weird thing is that so I wrote it and translated it when it was, and then there was a few months where I'm not writing anything, right? It's all done. It's just in production. And so then when I would after it came out and we had it, and I would like was like, oh my gosh, look at it! It's like an actual book, and I'm like looking <laughs> at it. Um, is that some of the stuff like that? For example, I read it and I'm like, oh, it's like it. I can't explain this. And I, I know disclaimer that this does sound woo woo. Okay. Okay. But, um, that it's like it, it's like in front of me and I'm learning from it and like catching up with it. If that makes Mm. sense. Like there's all these layers that I just wrote it, but I didn't know it's doing something to me now reading it back. It's just, it's so bizarre. I don't know. I can't explain it. So my friend was right, but (laughs) that's awesome. No, that's super cool. And I, I agree with too, with the, the bit you said about, uh, John one, that was another one of my favorite uh, bits Mm. from it, but yeah, the, and if you like the cosmic Christ, the universal Christ stuff, then, I mean, you're already at the, panentheism bit they just don't call oh, it that <laughs> there you go i just haven't you'll labeled like it, it yet. yeah you'll like it um, <laughs> okay cool it's yeah it's cool um but yeah so i guess if we have a few minutes i just wanted to at least highlight we don't have to go super in depth but i absolutely loved the it is finished plus new creation section oh i was gonna ask you okay yes cool yeah i what did you love about it? it what did you like about it uh all of it um <laughs> <laughs> No, but so, so I, um, I kind of have it, I have it broken down here in front of me. I took some notes, cool. um, but I, so I love, so first off, just for listeners, it's, um, you called it, it is finished plus new creation, but it's John uh, 19, 17 through 30 and John 21 through 18. Yeah. Uh, and so first off, like what jumped out to me immediately, uh, was when you started basically talking about Jesus's experience on the cross, like Jesus remembering his childhood. It was Mm -hmm. so cool. So I have to tell you, it was like the most like at war with myself, right? I was like, is this like, I don't know. It felt there was such a, and I don't think this now, but when I was writing it, it felt like I could get behind. This is what Abraham was thinking. This is what Sarah was thinking the lady with the, with the, the cloak, like, but then when it came to Jesus, there was something about it that I was like, am I allowed to guess? Like, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. Um, but, um, I ultimately was like, no, he was fully human. Do you know what I mean? Like he was, mm-hmm. his story is in our story and all that stuff too. And so I had always, my experience of the cross story was always very manipulative growing up. It was so, mm-hmm. um, like watch this video and think about how awful you are. Etc. <laughs> it's like PSA, your typical uh, penal substitutionary atonement. 
kind yes. of stuff. Okay. And I was just like, and I remember being like, I'm a terrible person because I'm not crying. And then this voice saying, well, this is the 12th time you've seen this. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> this is like constant, like, I don't know how I should feel. Um, but anyways, so when we were doing it, I wanted to go, okay, most, what is death like? Right. I mean, none mm. of us are fully prepared to understand what death is like. We aren't um, verse. We don't talk about it. We are so far removed. And, and so I was like, what do you hear from everybody who's like, and they were dying. And it was like, they sit and they remember, no one is talking about the next thing to do unless I guess you are um, RBG and you're like, please don't uh, fulfill my seat until later. But anyway, uh, mostly you're talking about all the great moments you had and who you were and the people you loved and the people that loved you. And so I wanted to bring that out, this fully human side of Jesus that we yeah. really don't even give much credit to in, in the stories. Yeah. I, I loved it. I thought it was so beautiful. And mm -hmm. um, to then like with that, you also like weaved in basically the story of Israel. Like you kind of mm -hmm. have Jesus going back through his mind, remembering these stories that he would have grown up knowing. And then it just like, I mean, theologians do that anyway. You know, yeah. the, the cross is culminating in, you know, all of it. And yep. so you brought that into the, the, the story itself. And then you hit, uh, you hit this line. Um, oh, hold on, I have to find exactly where it is. But, um, oh yeah, where it says, uh, it gets to the point where it's talking about uh, Jesus, actually his hands physically being nailed to the cross. And you said only a carpenter understood the irony of the hands now being mastered by the wood. Mm. And that was like one of those, like, okay, I have to step away and like, you know, let that sink in. I forgot I wrote that. It's so good, Bonnie. <laughs> <laughs> good job. Right. Give yourself a pat on the back. <laughs> that does yeah. sound like a good line if I could find it. <laughs> it is. It's great. Here on the ebook, mm. it's page 208 and it's the last, it's the last line on there um uh, i don't know if it's the same as in your dash. oh i found it cool yeah yeah only a carpenter mm. understood the irony of the hands now being mastered by the wood that's mm. brilliant <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well thank you i don't even remember writing it so, so well, good job yeah well and just as, as i was saying like as, as i've reading through this and i read through this like the so i i would say this is going to be a weird way to say this, but it's the, it's the words that are coming to me. When you read any of the great masterful writers, mm. you read things and, and they weave in different ideas and thought processes in such a way where you're grasped away from whatever else you're thinking about. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. all mm. of a sudden you, you, you step back from what you've read and you realize that an immense amount of time has passed and you haven't realized like that that's happened. Mm, um, yeah. And it, this is, I, as I read this, even just right now, a, a lot of what you guys were just talking about, <laughs> like I was like immersed here. And I think, mm. I think the mind wants to immerse itself in the things that, pull you the most into your own creative and thought process and the way that you craft in the idea of jesus as as, as a child as and as he's walking having these thoughts going back to it's just it so like i said like sorry you may have already talked about that <laughs> like oh, no. I, as i was reading through it again it just it, it did that to me um 
you know, just the creative nature. And so like, I read this and I say like, this is like, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to brown nose or anything. Like it's. it's what a kiss ass Marty. <laughs> it's like masterfully crafted mm. in such a creative way. Oh. That to me tells the, tells not, it tells the same story. Like you said earlier, that I've read mm. and I've heard and I've watched and I've done, and I've, and I've invested in, in so many different ways, so many different times, but it puts it into such a perspective that like, it, it, it draws me back in again. Like I, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. I, I hate to bring this up because it's, it's, it's weird. But when I first watched the passion of the Christ, oh yeah, when I left the movie theater, um, I was with three other college friends, three other guys um, and the guy driving dropped each one of us off at our prospective places and not a single person said a word because we walked away like we walked out of the theater and no one said anything Mm. from that like when we got dropped and we walked away from that so affected and so moved that we didn't have anything to say Mm -hmm. we just had we were left with our own thought and um as i've then then like a couple years later a, a friend had given me like from the eighties, like a, a scientific journal, like a medical journal of like what the physical medic, like medical things that Jesus would have experienced would have been like. It feels uh, like that should be in this book. <laughs> <laughs> so like, it's right. <laughs> every, everything from sweating blood in the garden and mm. like actually saying like, here's the actual scientific thing that has happened over history. Mm. This is, this is, this is a thing we know about. And here's what, Here's why it happens, and here's what it feels like. It says it's not just it's not just something that happens and you don't notice. Like it's painful. You actually physically feel this. Mm-hmm. And as I'm reading through this, I'm I'm brought back to yes, Jesus was the Son of God. Yes, Jesus is divine, hundred percent. But this brings me into the hundred percent human side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not to, not to be quote unquote heretical, Josh. I think Josh knows that word well. Um, because wow, because people, people call like me all the time. That. Why you got to throw that at me, Mark? It's okay. People are always calling me that too. You, like might. You, it's fine. you read this and, and you say, like, for the first time, I guess I'll say in, in a while, I was put in the position of what if this was me doing this mm. and carrying yeah. this cross? And I would never be, I would never have been able to withstand what Jesus withstood. Mm-hmm. And I, and, and I would have, I would have been, I would have been crying. I would have been, you know, wailing out. I mean, I'm just knowing myself, but this placed me there. Mm. Um, is like, as you said, um, oh, where is it at? Um, the, as the dust scampered around his feet when he ran through it and laughter spread with the wind. Uh, he was just a boy when the air was light and his authority remained unformed in his young mind. But like you talk about the dust spreading away and the wind under his feet. And how he would remember that as a child mm. doing that playing because he, he saw it happen as he was carrying the cross. Yeah. And that beauty of that, like it, 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 it created immediately created a, like a video playing in my mind of mm. this happening. So I, cool. I just, it, it was, it's masterfully crafted is what I would say. Oh gosh. Thank you so much. I can't tell you what, um, <laughs> Like I will take that <laughs> compliment because I cannot tell you what joy that brings me. It was, um, I don't, I've never written anything like a story before. 
Um, so it was a challenge to do it, but I like to write. I'm a writer. I, I get uh, hired to preach a lot, but I'm really honestly not that great at preaching. Um, so I wanted to hone my writing skills because I'm like, I'd rather write than I would chat or talk, like not chat, talk to people. Like, see, I call sermons chatting. <laughs> not good at it. Um, and so um, I tried so hard. And you know what? It's so um, cool that you said that too, because one of my, I use a technique in here that my friend, my friend told me. Um, and he said to me, you know, he said, anytime you want someone to find their story, you double down on the particulars of that story you're telling. And then somebody will find it. So for you to say, oh, like I'm visualizing that, right? You're connecting. But if I hadn't put that, you wouldn't have visualized it in a different way, right? So it was like this very particular thing of wind and dust mm -hmm. and air. And that spoke to you in a certain way that you were like, oh, I put myself there, right? So it's just yeah. like storytelling techniques. But anyways, um, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful yeah. that you said that, but I'm so grateful that it hit you like that. That's well, really cool. And I think the beauty of writing sometimes is how can the writer find themselves in the story? Or mm -hmm. I'm sorry, the reader find themselves in the yeah. story. Mm -hmm. And the best writers know how to put it into a perspective where the reader then can place themselves in the story. Mm -hmm. And I think as, as, as much as I hate to say this, because I, I love reading this story in scripture, mm -hmm. I think when you read the same story in scripture in the same oh. translation, or maybe even a different one, for another opportunity you say oh i'm gonna try the, i'm gonna try a different translation i'm gonna try the message this time just because i want something new or, or whatever mm -hmm. and people hate the message i'm sure i know but haters um, thank yeah. you <laughs> um they, don't they have all to got their again. place they yeah. all got yeah. their place it's fine <laughs> but, but but what but what i love about this is like sometimes when i read the niv or the nlv or whatever it might be uh or the nlt i mean um it's, it's harder to place myself in the story. Yeah. Because it's the same words, but there's a different the here. And mm -hmm. the, you know, it's the, the words are crafted differently. Someone parsed this a little bit differently than somebody else did. Um, and so it becomes not, not, un, not entirely impersonal, but in some ways impersonal. Unless yeah. you really, per, okay, I'm going to read this personally right now. <laughs> you go into it like that. Yeah, um, you're really in there. Well, and yeah. that so begs the question, like, so everybody that's translated Bibles, they're experts at translating. They know the languages. They know the thing. They they do it. There probably isn't one of them though that is a creative writer on the team, right? Which yeah. is ironic, considering the Bible is like literally just this compilation of all these creative writings. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's like myth and it's parable and it's like none of those were just yeah. as straight. So we we have taken something and we've treated it differently mm -hmm. than it should be treated. Yeah. Um, and so when you have a creative writer doing it, it brings out like some of some of the original foundation of the actual story, right? Yeah. That we've lost in some mm -hmm. of these translations. Yeah. So I'm just saying all that to say thank you. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'll thank you. I'll throw out real quick a few more things that stood out to me in that passage, and then we'll 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 wrap things up. But um, mm -hmm. I think like you had a bit too where you talked about um how within the Jewish culture, people have you know have all these different interpretations they do with the text, right? Um, and yeah. then but nobody quite had the interpretation that the king was going to be killed, you know, that the Messiah was going to yeah. be executed. I love that. Um, mm -hmm. And then as, as uh, Jesus died, you have this uh, beautiful sentence, it says, the spirit 
that was there from the beginning, the one that created all the cosmos and in which everything lived and moved and found its being was given over to finish the work he started. So that's just mm-hmm. like, boom, roasted. Like, <laughs> so good. <laughs> There's a lot of places in these stories where I weave in other scriptures that point to it, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Yeah. Be like, oh, yeah, I remember that one. I remember that thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's so good. And just to the, you did within the the next bit in the new creation, you did this juxtaposition of like the life. And I've, I've never thought about this, like the life, the, the symbolic, the symbolism of like life and flourishing that would have been in, in a garden where the tomb was compared to the tomb itself, which is a place of death and decay. And so like mm-hmm. having those two images together uh, brought a new layer to the text that I hadn't even thought of before. Mm. And then- you brought out the idea, and I thought this was really cool. You brought out the idea that the uh, that Mary standing there in the garden um, was like now standing in the the very place that the story of her people began in the Garden mm. of Eden. And then this yeah. this new thing that God was doing, this revolution that God was starting, happened once again in a garden. Um, mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, that's just awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's so. Yeah. I think I probably I think I heard I like that, it. and I think I I think from Rob from uh rob bell in one of his sermons yeah. um i think it's called he thought she was a gardener but he talks a lot about that and we've talked a lot about that about new creation and how mm-hmm. it all points to it but that the juxtaposition between the tomb and the garden in my research and i didn't realize this there's so much stuff in the text that we just don't see it right we're just right. like oh yeah these are we read the bullet points even if we're reading the text and it was a brand something that we've, we often miss is that it was a brand new tomb in a brand new garden and mm. that's significant. Right. So they don't leave, they don't just say that just to tell you it. Right. So it was so lush and so green and that's different to have this soul tomb there than if you had it with all these other ones or, you know, whatever it might be. And so I really wanted to pull that out because I, it just, it changes the story of like how you visualize Mary. Yeah. So much. What she's doing. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. It was wonderful. I oh, love it. thank you so much. Thank <laughs> you guys. I'm like astounded anytime anyone's like, yes, I read it. I'm like, oh my gosh. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Oh, well, yeah. So thanks for putting in all like the time and the energy and the effort to, to create it and for hanging yeah. out and going a little bit long with us today and, and chatting. And wait, uh, I have a question for you yeah, guys. Go for it. I don't expect you to have got, no one's gotten it yet. So okay. I'm just dying to know if you guys did. So, we put them in a certain order, right? Okay. There is a thread between okay. the beginning and the end and of the stories. Like we put they're in a different order than they are in the in the Bible that we have, our normal translations. Um, but they're it's very specific. And no one has picked up on what it is yet. And I thought I was so clever, but now I'm starting to think it wasn't clever because no one's getting it. <laughs> no, or it is clever and that's why no one's getting it. Maybe. Yeah, yeah fill us in. Okay, so you have, I'm not going to do the whole thing. I'll do part okay. of it. And wait a minute, should, should you fill us in? Because if you fill she us should. in, then, then everybody in the world, because we, we have billions of listeners. You're right. And so if I fill you in, then the whole, this is going to be on like CNN tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. So I probably shouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> I'll fill you in offline. Okay. That sounds good. And then that'll be a whole other reason for to listeners to go ahead and pick it up. There you yeah. go. Yeah. And so, yeah, if they Where want can to- people get it? Yeah. Yeah. So timshelltranslation.com. 
Okay. It will tell you on there too if you after you've listened to this, if you are still a little confused or you need to defend your purchase. <laughs> Everything you need to know is on there, like what it is, why we did it, how we did it. Our Kickstarter videos on there. Um, and then there's also some sample passages. So there's Abraham and Isaac, some of the Beatitudes, and I think a few parable, a parable and then a healing. I think those are on there. So you can read, just read what it'll be like. And then for like, I don't know, when is this gonna be released? Uh, probably, I mean, probably pretty soon within two, three weeks. Okay, perfect. So by the end of October is when our pre-sale ends. Okay. So we're doing right now, um, since we're not selling it um, like on Amazon or whatever, like we're doing all the shipping and all that stuff. So okay. right now we're taking pre-orders so we know how many to order from this thing. So yep. if you pre-order right now, either hard or soft copy, doesn't matter which, um, you'll get a digital download, which you oh, guys sweet. are reading. Yeah, yep. so that's still going on until October, but then I'm all, you can also find us on Instagram, Tim Shell Translation, and then our podcast, the Tim Shell Cast. So. Perfect. Yeah, we'll be sure to link all of those things in the, cool. the notes, that way people can find it easily. That would be awesome. That would be so, awesome. Thank you guys so much. This has been so much fun. Yeah, thanks for hanging out with us today. I loved it. Yes, this is great. Sweet. And listeners, as always, uh, go Caps. And Blackhawks. Go Blackhawks. Blues. <laughs> Are we still talking about hockey? Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. Peace and love, guys. <laughs> uh.